G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to Series 9 of This Week in Startups Australia. Throughout Series 9, we're focusing on one question. What is it that makes a startup successful? Is it a great idea, a great team, great customers, or is it something else altogether? This is an important question for all startups. It's a fundamental question. And on this series, we are looking for answers. We're talking to people who have been successful and we're asking them how it happened. We're talking to people at the start on their journey to success. And today's episode, well, it's a bit of something different because we'll be talking to a brand new startup in a rapidly growing space, food tech, that's co-founded by a longtime venture capitalist. So this is a business that has seen success from both sides of the table. How do they understand what it means to succeed? We'll be eating our own dog food on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by Squarespace. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. Go to squarespace.com twista for a free trial. Twista is also sponsored by Odoo, a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Go to odoo.com twista to check it out. This Week in Startups Australia is sponsored by User Testing. Experience what your customer experiences with user testing. Request your free trial at usertesting.com slash twista and get the fast human insights you need to make more informed decisions at scale. Twista's production partner for Series 9 is UTS Startups, where they're equipping a new breed of startup founders by inspiring students to launch their own venture and build the foundation for a successful career. To learn more about UTS Startups, go to startups.uts.edu.au. is the foundation of civilization. The transition to agriculture is the transition to cities and pretty much everything follows from that. So for most of the last 10,000 years, most of us lived on the land. Most of us were subsistence farmers. But now, as of this last decade, more than half of humanity lives in cities, which means more than half of us now depend on someone else's farming for what we eat. And that is fine up to a point. But over the decades to come, everything that we understand about farming will be framed around sustainability. Can we feed ourselves? Or rather, how can we feed ourselves? And that question has become the touchstone for an incredible new range of startups here in Australia and all around the world. And that brings us to Harvest B, who have taken a look at the world of food and decided it's time for Australia to think different. So it is with great pleasure I welcome to This Week in Startups Australia the three co-founders of Harvest Bee, 
Werner Flugersberger, welcome, Werner. Thank you, Mark. I'm honored to be here with you. Christy Reardon and an old friend of mine, Alfred Lowe. Welcome, Alfred. Always great to see you, Mark. <laughs> All right, let's start with the beginning. What is the problem that Harvest B is working to solve? Let's start with you, Christy. Well, Mark, I might start by just sharing our mission at Harvest B. We are here because we want to accelerate the world's transition to a more sustainable food system. And I know you've covered this a lot in your shows, that nearly half of all of our planet's land is devoted to supporting livestock production. If you look at forecasts over the next 30 years, we'll have another 2 billion mouths to feed. And the problem is that cattle, for example, only convert about 15% of their feed into human food. So that famous saying, what got us here won't get us there. We need more efficient proteins to scale our food system. The good news is, over the last 10 years, we've seen some really incredible food brands emerge, like Impossible Foods and Beyond Meat and our homegrown V2 foods from here in Australia. In fact, to create a more robust food system, we need a lot more companies like this. In food, the category has never been a winner-take-all because consumers want to have a lot of choice. And actually, we've had many food brands jump into the category in Australia alone. We have probably 40 brands here offering plant-based meat. The problem is there's a highly fragile global supply chain to support this category. And there's almost no supply chain domestically in Australia. This is the problem we're working to solve at Harvest Bee. If we have a better supply chain, we have better and more products. If we have better products, we have more adoption on the way to creating a more sustainable system. And Frederick, you're the one with the deepest food background. How does the mission of Harvest Bee fit what you're doing over the course of your career? Well, uh, thanks for the question. Uh, Harvest Bee mandate is to develop meat analogs uh, from a combination of plants, uh, which are tasteful and healthy for people, respectful to the planet and also affordable for families across the globe. And plants have uh, many more health-promoting attributes than meat. They are an excellent source of proteins, essential amino acids, starches, dietary fiber, minerals, vitamins, uh, and other bioactive compounds. And Harvest Bee Research and Development aims to capitalize on these excellent attributes and bring them into our low moisture meat analog, which we try to develop, but with a whole food approach. Uh, we want to avoid overprocessing through extraction, which is the commonly way it's currently done in not only in the plant-based industry, but because the meat industry and other industries as well. And we also must not lose sight of the, the byproducts uh, from agricultural processing, uh, which Today are used, used mainly in, in animal farm feeding, and, but they have got very good uh, sources of nutrients for humans. And I think it's really important that we try to also incorporate those in our products. Alfred, you're the one that I know who is the venture capitalist here. You're normally sitting across the table judging whether a startup should get money or not. What is it about the Harvest Bee mission that you find so attractive that you jump ship and jump to the other side of the table. Right. I mean, uh, as a VC, we always think about really large markets and high growthy markets. Uh, I think this is, you couldn't find one that's 
more exemplary of that uh, in the plant-based meat and the alternative protein space. Um, and for, for me, having worked in deep tech um, for the last few years at Cicada and really getting a deep insight into um, this space and the opportunity, that, that's what really drove me to jump ship. And what I thought was, what I saw was, as Christy said, there's a, there's a lot of pioneering things are happening with plant-based meat companies in the last 10 years globally with Impossible, et cetera. But what, when, I, when I met Verna, it really struck me how there, there, is, there is a whole cohort of, of, of organization firms that just don't have this expertise to bring great plant-based meat products to market. Um, it's it's expensive to come up with the technology, to come up with the innovation that that uh, makes a great performing plant based meat product taste good, um, and that really needs to be unlocked for the tens of thousands of traditional food manufacturers that are making great tasting products today. And that that for me is was an opportunity that that really needed to happen. So, Werner, is this sort of almost like a meta kitchen of ingredients? In other words, rather than having sort of the end ingredients, you're making the ingredients for the people who make the ingredients. Well, I think traditionally in the meat industry, also in the plant-based industry, we, because we don't have the right raw materials, we're mixing a lot of ingredients together based on the attributes. And that's product gets really over-processed. We end up with a lot of... Uh, additive codes in product with preservatives and artificial antioxidants. And what our aim is to have this whole food approach where we say, okay, that particular plant has got very good antioxidant properties. Let's work the plant into, in its natural form, into our, into our plant-based meat. So we go away from having an ingredients declaration of 20, 30 ingredients to make a burger. Uh, that's what we experience in the meat industry. And I think it's amazing, a great opportunity now to do it differently in the plant-based industry. So, Christy, supply chains, and you talked about this, they're a very important element here. Now, probably the most sophisticated supply chains in the world relate to petrochemicals, and probably then the next most sophisticated would be relating to food. So food is a, a very big supply chain thing. This means that it's a problem that's been solved before. So I guess the question is for you as a startup, is this defensible and who are the natural competitors here? I agree with you, Mark. The supply chain in food is highly sophisticated. However, I think it's important to remember that these plant-based meat products are really very new. They haven't been around that long. And the supply chain that we have in the food system has been designed for the industrialized food system we've built over the last 100 years, which more than half of it is going to feed livestock. It's really not designed to feed humans through these kinds of products. So the supply chain we need for plant-based meat hasn't even really been Built yet. And this is pretty typical when we look at new technologies that are coming to market, whether you go back and you look at the automotive industry and how that stood up or how the computer industry stood up. In the beginning, everything is done in a vertically integrated fashion. And eventually we start having people specialize and really own different parts of the supply chain. That's really where we're heading with Harvest B. 
we see our work here as one part manufacturing to produce ingredients, but the reason why it's truly defensible is because the extensive amount of innovation that is required, the kind of R&D work that we need to do to create the next generation of ingredients. One of the misunderstandings of this category is that it's figured out. Given how early this category is, we've actually got decades ahead of us to innovate from the, the field all the way to the fork. So with respect to defensibility, the first thing you have to answer, is this just about production or is it also about innovation? And I think you clearly know where we fall out on that, on that question. And so as long as you have rapid cycles of innovation and you're regularly introducing supply chain components that are better than anyone else and they're difficult to replicate, that's defensible. In terms of competitors, you know, we could look to traditional plant protein manufacturers. These tend to be multinational companies who are oftentimes commodity traders. It's just not where we would typically look to see innovation. And we're not actually seeing the next generation of products come from these companies. The other place we could look for competitors would be with non-traditional market entrants, startups who tend to be taking on very specific parts of the supply chain. And those are companies that we will be watching very closely. All right. Alfred, this is, it's not a tech business as we would necessarily understand. It's not like a SaaS business, but can you give us some insight on how you pitched Harvest B coming from your tech background, even though you have that deep tech background, because you just secured seed investment from Woolies Investment Arm, W23. So how does that story go? As I mentioned before, it's, it's um, I think the understanding what a, a venture backable opportunity is, is understanding, um, you know, it's not beyond just software. I think the if you go back in venture capital, uh, software wasn't the only thing that, that VC backed. Um, what what other attributes of a venture backable opportunity is something which is often hard to do, difficult to do, using technology and has um, a, a large addressable market. And as I mentioned before, this has an extremely large addressable market. Um, if we we believe that to transi- transition to a new food system will displace the traditional proteins that we 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 eat today, um, we're talking about single digit plant based meat opportunities today. To hopefully will be many, you know double digits, if, if not 30, 40, 50 percent. Uh, that's an extremely large market. And uh, I think there's there's a lot of innovation that needs to happen in this space. The the meat analog that we experience today really has only existed for the last ten years, and that that journey is still very young. Uh, it it is it is a journey that needs to start all the way back in the field. We're looking at different protein types, not just soy, not just pea, not just wheat, but we're talking about different variants of proteins that hadn't been grown before. We're looking at how do they perform both from a from a taste and a texture perspective, but also from a nutritional perspective and a from a from an agronomist perspective as well. How do you grow these proteins? Uh, how much water they require, what are the climates that is required um, to, for this to perform. There's a lot of science and um, that needs to go into developing this. And as such, there's a lot of data that naturally will come from this. Uh, 
you start seeing, when you start peeling the layers of the onion back, you start really seeing the elements that you'd find in any technology business. There's, there's a lot of fast cycles of innovation, a lot of data, uh, a lot of new processes and techniques that need to happen, which ultimately delivers a better product uh, for a very large market. And, and there couldn't be more important a market than what we eat on this planet. Uh, I think it, we all know that uh, the food system today contributes um, the number one contributor to greenhouse gases on this planet. And we, we can, we can, we're doing such great things around renewable energy, uh, uh, carbon capture, but, you know, this is a, one of the biggest emitters. We need to really address this if we want to move the needle. So that, that naturally just lends itself to being a really uh, ambitious market for, for a venture-backable opportunity. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Twista is proudly sponsored by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform to build a beautiful online presence and run your business. With Squarespace, you can blog, publish content, promote your business, announce upcoming events and special projects, sell products and services of all kinds, and much more. No matter what you need to do online, Squarespace has the answer. And don't take their word for it. Here's what the folks at Remote Demo Day had to say. Back in 2020, they decided to create Remote Demo Day for founders to pitch to thousands of angel investors live. They purchased the domain RemoteDemoDay.com and had the site up and running in minutes because Squarespace is so easy to use. Remote Demo Day has been a success so far, and Squarespace has played a huge part in that. From websites to online stores, from marketing tools to analytics, Squarespace has what you need to succeed online. Go to squarespace.com slash Twista for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the code Twista to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash Twista. Welcome back to This Week in Startups Australia. We're in conversation with the three founders of food tech startup Harvest Bee. We're on our Fugersberger, Christy Riordan, and Alfred Lowe. So, folks, the theme of Series 9 is success, and each of you will have your own take on that. Werner, you have worked with some of the most successful plant-based food companies. What have you learned about why they succeeded? Well, you may be disappointed with my answer, but I'm not sure if any of us have yet experienced success. Um, there are more players in this field than actual consumers at the moment. Uh, there's not a week where not a new plant-based product is launched and it also disappears quickly. It's a new category and a wide open field and very little to compare against. Um, um, the developers, manufacturers, retailers, and even consumers, we are all still experimenting. This new industry needs structure from plant, from plant to plate. Um, and it needs to introduce global food standards. Um, 
most of all, most of all, it needs not just to talk about sustainability, but actually practice sustainability. And I can already see that we are running the danger of relying on monoculture again to meet the growing demand for soy, pea, and wheat. I think it's really, it's really critical to not be blinded by the opportunity, but actually stay true to the, to the, to our mission. Christy, you have worked across a range of startups in fintech and now in food tech, both here in Australia and back in the United States. What have you learned along the way about why a startup succeeds? When people talk about startups, they're always quick to point out that someone else is bigger, better funded, has a larger team working on the problem. And there will always be someone who's better funded and a bigger team working on the problem. While cash is still king, no one ever said that capital is the mother of all invention. And so I think the reason why startups win is because of the necessity of creating focus, laser focus on the problem that they're setting out to solve. That enables them to go faster and to make sure that they've got the right team who's working on that problem. And when startups veer from that, they go too broad and too wide and try to tackle too many problems, that's actually when they fail. So successful startups, clear focus, run really fast, and have the right people working on the product. Alfred, you have sat across the table from startups that are seeking funding. When you're wearing that hat, what do you look for that assures you that founders have what it takes to succeed? That's a great question. I, I talked about this with my investor uh, colleagues and friends um, uh, a lot. And, you know, it's, it's whether how great a, a pitch deck it is, how great an opportunity it is. But, you know, often I find, you know, at least in my portfolio of companies I've invested in, the, it really comes down to the founders. You know, that really cuts through any shiny deck that you see. And uh, you, know, you, you know it when you see it, founders are, will run through walls and they have the hustle and they have the focus. And, and it's, it's, you know, lambast me if you like, but, you know, it's that gut feeling, that pattern recognition. You just, you just know the, the people that are, are going to get the job done. And um, it's that special twinkle. That, that you look for in the founding teams. Naturally, you know, they have to come with, it generally comes with experience and, and, and their attitude and, and their skills and maybe their qualifications. But, you know, that's, that's often where, where the magic's at. All right. All three of you, this is a question now. I'll, I'll address it to you individually, but for all three of you, what qualities do you look for in yourselves that you identify as the qualities of success and what qualities do you look for in others? Let's start with you, Christy. Woody Allen once said that 80% of success in life is just showing up. So I think maybe it's worth asking the question, what actually gets people to show up and not just to a nine to five job, but to work on the kinds of problems that we're facing today that are complex, that are meaty, that are difficult and that are hard. I think one of the truest things I've ever seen of anybody working on those kinds of problems that have been successful is their deep sense of curiosity about their particular field, but about the broader world around them as well, so they can see some really interesting patterns across different fields. 
And you have to know that you can rely on somebody to to show up. I know I make a commitment to to show up and we have to have a strong sense of resilience to get back up when those problems are difficult. So maybe Woody Allen uh, was on to curiosity, reliability, and resilience as well. Werner, what about you? What do you look for success in yourself and others? Uh, before I answer that question, Mark, uh, you, earlier you mentioned about defensibility. I'd like to add something to that, if you don't mind. Please. Because I was, I always hear defensibility, and I wonder if that's really the biggest problem we have. Uh, I think the more I work with Christian Alfen and in, that new, in this new environment, um, we all got to work together. The meat industry, the plant-based supply, protein suppliers, the sale-based meat manufacturers, hybrid meat developers, and whatever other new discoveries we eventually will make in that space. We've got to find ways to ensure that every person in the world gets to eat without ruining the planet. And I think that's, a, that's for me what we've got to defend. We've got to defend the planet, not, not just our business. Now, the other thing in regards to, um, you asked me what, what um, quality of success. I'm a simple man, Mark. I don't really know. I don't know what the, the big word, the buzzwords are. But all I ever remember is that in the last 30 years, I set goals, I faced challenges, think of solutions with others, fall down, get up, and then get on with it. You know, there's, there's too much at stake for, for humankind, and failure is just no option. We've got to make it work. And what I look for in others, uh, there are specific skills that I have and certain skills I don't. And I think that I feel Christian Alfred both compensate for those, and I just keep on learning. Brilliant. Alfred, what about you? It shouldn't come to any surprise that I, I share the same qualities as what has just been discussed because these guys are my business partners. And, uh, and if, I didn't, if I had different qualities of, of, uh, of what success looks like, we'll probably be misaligned. But um, it, it comes, should come to no surprise that I, I agree with them all, but I'd, I'd add in. I think grit's a really important one here because the the the, the journey for a, a startup founder is is certainly not on any sealed road. It, it is it is bumpy and comes ups and downs, um, and being able to manage those um, or cope with them um, is I think vital for uh, any founder to be successful. Um, that's why sometimes being a founder isn't cut out for everyone. Um, uh, I've, I've always said that to, to many founders I've, I've met in the past. Um, but, you know, I think it's one thing that binds us all as uh, a founding team. You know, I, I look at, uh, at Christy and Verna, you know, one of the qualities why we work as a team and, and why other, other you know, great, uh, I guess, teams, you know, succeed is, is having trust and integrity. I think amongst amongst themselves, it it is so important uh, uh, to have. Once you lose that, you you have nothing. You 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 can't you can't perform. You can't move quickly. You can't make decisions. Um, that is vitally important for 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 Harvest B and for any startup, really. Wow. So Werner, Christy, Alfred, I want to thank you so much for joining us on this week in Startups Australia. Thanks, Mark.
Twisted is proudly sponsored by Odoo. One of the toughest parts of building a company is choosing which tools and service providers to use. There are so many functions in a startup, and each space has endless vendors. There's sales tools, email marketing, accounting, HR and payroll, project management, customer support, point of sale, e-commerce. It goes on and on, and eventually you end up with a Frankenstack of tools that cost a lot and don't integrate properly. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that let you build and scale your stack as you scale your business. For instance, their accounting products are perfect for anyone who's ready to upgrade from Excel or QuickBooks but doesn't want to break the bank with some of the more expensive options out there. It's simple, it's modular, you use what you need, and all of their apps integrate perfectly with each other. Your first app is free forever. And right now, Odoo is offering a $1,000 credit on your first implementation pack. That's not a joke. Take $1,000 off. Go to odoo.com slash twista to check it out. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twista. Exactly one week before we recorded this interview with the three co-founders at Harvest B, the UN released its Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change Interim Report, which took a look at the science of climate change. This is the sixth report, and this report really nailed down the direct correlation between human activities that's putting carbon dioxide into the air and the rate that the planet is warming. We have done all of the research we need to be absolutely clear on that relationship. And yes, there are still some open questions around the edges, but the basics are now thoroughly understood. And the other side of that is that they know it's in that report, but you can read it clearly from the data, that in order to stay on the good path, what they called Shared Socioeconomic Path 1, or SSP1, where we limit warming to about 1.5 degrees, it goes just above it and then starts to come down in the second half of the century, to limit that, then we basically have about 12 more years to curb our carbon dioxide production, to bring it back in, to bring it down to a rate where the planet can actually absorb all the carbon dioxide that we're creating. And if we overshoot that, then the planet just continues to warm and warm and warm and warm. And you realize when you're reading this report, the report is nearly 4,000 pages. I have digested about the first 100 of those, which is all of the executive summaries with all of the basic research. When you get to that, you realize that, in fact, this is really clear and that the time frame is also really clear. People don't like to think in terms of how much things are going to change in their lifetimes. But if you say, look, this is what's going to happen in a decade, that's something that's really kind of workable. It gives people something they can get their teeth into. And so all of us are now going to start thinking about that kind of runway, that 10-year runway to sustainability, because we kind of don't want to miss that runway. If we do well, well, things won't end well for us. And I know a lot of people are very cynical because we see this problem as basically intractable because it requires basically everyone doing the right thing. But there's nothing that's actually really hard about that if we build systems that help us to do those right things. And this is exactly 
where food is now being centered. As was pointed out by Christie at the beginning of the interview, something like 70% of all agricultural land is used to raise feed. It's used to raise feed, to raise animals, which we then eat. And those animals produce an enormous amount of greenhouse gases as they're growing up. Cows burp methane at a rate of knots. I mean, there are some techniques to help mitigate that. But all of this means that the giant meat cycle that we're in, and as people get richer in the world and people are getting richer in the world, they tend to consume more meat because meat is a food of wealth. Well, we're now caught in that cycle where our basic desire to eat well because we're wealthy is now producing carbon dioxide that's making it hard to grow the food that we need to eat. And so we're at that real sticking point. And I think that (laughs) Werner nailed it almost precisely when he said, look, this isn't about defensibility. It isn't about what a competitor is doing. This is about sustainability. And if we take our eyes off of that, then we're going to be left with a food system that's going to fail because the planet got too hot for it. So what Harvest Bee is doing and what other companies are doing all around Australia and around the world are now starting to take bites out of a really large problem. Because if we can make some small changes to how we eat, we can make some big changes to how much carbon dioxide we can produce. So it's this idea of a food multiplier, pardon me, a force multiplier. But yes, let's call it a food multiplier, that with a small degree of change, you can produce outsized results. And those are obviously the kinds of things that startups tend to look at. Food has always been one of the central pillars of how we define the culture that we're in. And each culture has its own cuisine, its own diet that are deeply reflective of who they are, where they are. We're moving now into this more global culture with this more global awareness of the impact that food has on us. What's coming out of that now are global supply chains for global food that talks to our new awareness around sustainability. And we're going to see a lot more companies like this, each of which will have their own bright idea on how we change what we eat in order to make our planet more livable. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Twista is proudly sponsored by user testing. Are you launching a new product, developing a new prototype, rolling out a new campaign? User testing lets you see, hear, and talk to your customers to understand how they experience your brand, your product, and your services. Chubbies, a men's casual apparel brand, they gained valuable insights by asking some of their customers to explain why they love their Chubbies shorts when they wore them last, even asking for new product suggestions to guide their product roadmap. So put yourself in your customer's shoes with user testing. Request your free trial at usertesting.com twista and get the fast human insights you need to make more informed decisions at scale.
one of the things that Alfred Lowe said about founders when he was sitting across the table as a VC is like they go through walls. And I like this idea that this just sort of share intensity and force is exactly what a founder needs. And of course, we know that there are two sides to that because that energy and intensity is what gets things done. But it also keeps you from reining yourself in at a time when you really need to. And this is exactly why you need to be resilient. And as Werner said, that's what Christie said, as Werner said, this is also why you need to constantly be learning from your co-founders. Big thanks to Twista's sponsors, Squarespace, Odoo, and User Testing. Thanks to our production partners at UTS Startups for their assistance. Thanks to Christy, Alfred, and Werner for coming on to our show. Come visit our website at twistartupsaus.com. It has all the shows, all of the interviews, all the photos, all the links to all the stories. Check it out at twistartupsaus.com. We will be taking the next three weeks off, and then we will be back with our final five episodes in Series 9. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia. 